You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked On Indians. It's your Monday edition of Locked On Indians, which means that today's edition of Locked On Indians is brought to you by Built Bar. Uh, go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. So today's show is mostly going to be about the roster. We're going to talk about how things have changed over the past few days. We're going to go back to see the roster move on March 19th and just kind of start from there, moving through the roster, what we think is going to happen, uh, how this is all going to possibly uh, hammer out. We're getting closer and closer to the big picture here. There's a lot of things that we can kind of piece together to figure some things out. Without much further ado, uh, and then at the end, we're going to do some Rule 5 history because of one of these moves we already know. So going back to the 40th, we have the Indians option, Daniel Johnson. Well, going back actually to the 16th, DJ Johnson gets sent to the minor league camp. Then on the 19th, Daniel Johnson gets sent to the Clippers. If you know me, you know that's not what I wanted to see, and that Noah Naylor is sent to the minor league depth camp. <laughs> it's been a lot of, uh, I, I can't be the one to talk because I'm a terrible speller, but man, the number of times I've seen people talk about the minor league death camp because of a mistyping, just that one letter makes that whole thing very different. Naylor is no surprise. Like He needs some more time. Johnson, you know, not what I was hoping for. At the end of the day, the Indians, for whatever reason, are not looking to get him up there. And the Tribe Insider, their official count, puts the roster at that point at 40. On the 20th, Heath Hembree is granted his release. He wasn't going to make the team. They told him, so that gets you down to 39. And then instead of them breaking it for whatever reason, the Tribe Insider then says that uh, Mandy Bell has information. So then we'll go over to Mandy's page. So on the 40th, we're at 40. The On the 20th, Nick Sandlin or I'm sorry, Hembree put us at 39. Then they tell Nick Sandlin he's not making the roster, but he'll stay in camp with the team. So now on to 38. They let Oscar Mercado know he's going to the depth camp. 37. Trevor Steffian, Rule 5 pick. Uh, if you heard it here first, I could say. I mean, how much from the moment they drafted him, I told you I think there's a very good chance he makes this team. There's a lot of reasons that made sense. I've talked about him in depth. You can go listen to Rule 5 podcast if you really want to hear me talk a lot of the reasons why in there but he's someone I knew they had liked and followed back to college and again I'll point out the fact the Yankees are not a strong developmental team it's kind of smart to gamble on a guy like that who maybe there's more there we'll see so we're at 37 Bo Taylor Ty Freeman Owen Miller are not making the roster but we're remaining camp so 36 35 34 correct doing the math right So we're at 34. We know we're going to get to 26. Now, we don't have anything beyond this other than the fact that we know Steffian's going to make it. So we need to eliminate eight more players. So when we dig into this, I want to make sure I get the tweet from Justin Lada that I kind of piggybacked off of earlier in the day. Uh, You know, basically about who's going to get it. So let's just talk about of the... The players who are up for uh, making this bullpen. There's three spots left that we're kind of unsure of. Go Anthony Ghost. Ghost. I, I don't think he makes it. That's 33. 
So Shaw, Perez, Parker, Nelson, Plutko. If they don't keep Plutko, he's, they have to expose him to waivers. So he's making it. Then we know Shaw's making it. Like I've talked about this for weeks. We know Shaw is the guy, which means they are going to have to open a 40-man spot. That's probably Cam Hill going to the 60-day disabled list. Now they don't have a lefty. So we can eliminate Parker. That gets us down to 32. And then Nelson versus Perez. Now Nelson has options, so they can send him down. Perez, you have to open another spot on your 40-man. We know one of them will be here. One will not. So that gets us down to 31. So we have to eliminate five more players at this point in time. I would lean towards Perez. They could always, as people are pointing out, put Taylor on the 60-day disabled list. That's another easy out for them uh, relative to this whole thing. And there we go, 31. Who are the next five cuts? Well, I think Bobby Bradley gets sent down. You know, we, we know all the reasons why. We know how little spring, train, uh, spring training matters. I know Hiram, if he's listening to this one, is mad at me right now and probably tweeting at me. But it just it doesn't. It's why would you take a 30-game sample size against a lot of players who aren't going to play in the big leagues this year or a lot of guys who aren't even who are trying things out over years and years of data and your eyes. It's it's just not going to happen. So they're going to want to give Bowers one last look. They traded for him for a reason. If they don't keep him on the roster, he's gone. It's as simple as that. It just comes down to options. And I had someone ask me if they would trade Bobby Bradley. I mean, I think they would if there was anything there, but everyone else has the book on him. And the book on him is he strikes out a ton and he doesn't walk. And you know what he didn't do in camp? Walk. Yeah, he hit the ball hard, but guys do that. Yu Chen Chang has done the same thing two years in a row. Bradley Zimmer hit it hard last July. Uh, we'll have to wait and see, but two of those guys are not, you know, it, when you have two guys to choose from, I, you know, I don't think there's much value in Bobby Bradley as a trade candidate. He didn't make my top 30 prospects, which I talked about on Friday, for a reason. I just, I don't see a pathway to him being a starter. Maybe I'll be wrong. I was not high in Jesus Aguilar, and I've been proven wrong. Uh, but sometimes I'm right as well, and we'll have to wait and see. But I'm just, I, I don't see the route there. So I think that gets us down to 30. That means four more spots to figure out with this team. Looking at the outfield, looking at the bullpen. Uh, should we just talk about the starting pitching? There is a world where uh, Quantrell ends up a relief arm and someone else doesn't make this team. I don't think it happens. I think Logan Allen likely starts the year in AAA because while he's looked great, again, it's an extremely small sample size. I think they'll get his arm built up and strengthened. I think you'll start with the rotation they have. And even if McKenzie starts the year with the team, he is likely to get you know put, sent down or spend large parts of the season not with the Indians, A, to manipulate service time, but B, he's pitched 33 innings over the last two years. He's not going to be with this team for the entire season. There's just no way around it. A six starter is almost like having for the Cleveland Indians this year is going to be a high inning spot. Send Allen down triple A, get an extended look, see if, you know, with him being in shape and the work they've done on his rotation delivery, if that has, can make him be a more effective pitcher. I think he, in spite of what he has done, they're going to give Quanchal a chance. They're going to give him a chance to prove himself. They're going to give McKenzie a chance to go out there and play well. And eventually they know they're going to need a six starter no matter what. So one of those guys will get that opportunity. But as of now, I think Logan Allen is the one to send down. That takes us to three spots, and we'll talk about those here in a second. We have talked about Pet Online many times on this show. 
and I've used them for lines. They're official sports betting partner of the Lockdown Network. If this is your thing, I know for some people it's not. It's not necessarily my thing either. But if you're someone who likes to go out there and gamble and knows how this all works, go to betonline.ag, use the promo code LOCKEDON, get a 50% bonus on your first deposit. It's the highest bonus slash discount this network has had on any ad I've ever read. Go check it out for yourself. Betonline.ag, it's not just sports, it's reality TV, it's award shows. If if it's something that you can bet on, BetOnline will have and uh, align for it. Go check it out for yourself today. BetOnline.ag. And remember that the locked on code gets you a 50% bonus on your first deposit. So make sure to really take advantage of it. We're having uh, preview shows over on the MLB uh, flagship channel. I recorded like seven minutes of answers to questions so you can hear that. We're going to have a hot take slash bold take video uh, on the network as well. Go check all that out. Some more extra fun information coming involving me and my views on the Indians this season. So while we're at uh, the in-between before the break time there, I went and took a second before recording those ads, and I just wanted to look at the roster and get that in front of me. Because I feel like, quickly, since we already talked about all of the pitching, this is what it looks like it's going to shake out to me. Right or wrong, this is where I think we're kind of looking as of now. So just looking at the list of active players, your rotation, Bieber, Plesak, Savali, McKenzie, Quantrell. There's your five. Eight pen arms. So I have Classe, Karinchak, Maiden, Perez, Shaw, Plutko, Steffian, Wetgren, Wickgren. It's eight arms, five starters, that's 13. Catching-wise, I think, I mean, we know that. That's going to be Hedges and Perez. Infield, I kind of already said, I don't think Bobby Bradley makes the team. So then that leaves... Chang, Jimenez, Hernandez, Jose Ramirez, and Ahmad Rosario is kind of a could-play-all-over-backup type. So what's this outfield shaking up to be? Well, I think, should we just eliminate the no-doubters? Reyes, Rosario, Naylor, Luplo. So we have those four pieces in place, right? So if you're doing your math at home, you're like, what are we up to? Well, four plus two is six. Amongst the infielders, I believe I named five players. That's 11, so that means we have two spots left. Right? Did I just do all that correctly? Uh, Bowers, Leplo, Naylor, Franmil, Rosario is... Yeah, so five, five, and two is 12. So I'm sorry, one spot left. Uh, Basic math, apparently not my thing when it's almost midnight my time. But we have 11 spots. So... Right now, right away, we're looking at three names to eliminate. Harold Ramirez. He can't really play center. There's not a great fit, not an ideal situation. I don't honestly know what his options look like, but I can't see how he makes the Indians. So he's out. Uh, when I look at the... the my pro- And this is what drives me nuts with this, and you've heard me complain about this many a time is how bad they are about updating these lists. Like, Keith Hembree was, like, on the 19th. He's still listed over on the Indians roster for non-roster invitees. I'm always like, come on, why are these not more updated? I look at this, and I know Gavin Collins has been sent to another camp. We know Ty Freeman is gone. I'm like, is Ryan Lavernway, Lavernway still with this team in some form? Uh, we know that uh, Owen Miller is, I mean, technically he's still in camp, but he's not making the team. So I guess I understand in that situation with some of these guys why they are still listed here. But it does make the situation a little more difficult, I, just because I don't know the exact numbers. But what it comes down to, 
is for this final spot of the Indians with Mercado being sent down, because I don't think the first base situation is really up for debate. I, I you know, I could be wrong, as I state, have stated many times, I often am, but it comes down to Ben Gamble and Bradley Zimmer, which is kind of crazy to me. Whoever gets it, you're starting center fielder. I just put my hands over my face because the thought of Ben Gamble in center field. Uh, so let's talk about Ben Gamble's career. Uh, five seasons of baseball, exclusively pretty much as a platoon bat. Only once in his career has he had more than uh, 360 at-bats in a season. He has been a platoon bat, and for most of his career, he's been a below-league average bat. You go and you look at that, and over those five seasons, 206 games in left, 169 in right, 38 in center, two at first, six at DH. He's not a center fielder by trade. Uh, Did I close his baseball? I did close Ben Gamble's baseball savant page. Let's put it this way. Uh, When I was up there, his speed score was in the 40s which means the Indians would have the slowest center fielder probably in baseball based on advanced metrics. Uh, Not someone who is very quick. Now, it is a weird season when we're looking at 2020 data. And if you're looking at a positive there, his expected batting average was 73rd percentile. His walk percentage was 65th percentile. Sprint speed is 45. You back to 2019, (laughs) it's all bad. Except for sprint speed was a 77 with an outfield jump of 68, a walk percentage of 79, a whiff of 63. Expected batting average was at 12. 2018, we just don't have data except for an 80 sprint speed and a 29 outfielder jump. So the data, or if we go back to 2017, which was, I believe, that one season that he had really extended, that might have been like the 360 at-bat season, right? No, that was the 500. His one season that he got a full 550 at-bats, fourth and outs above average. It's not good. It's a bad defender. 40th and outfield jump. Sprint speed wasn't 82. He could run a little. And I guess that's kind of my problem here. It's like, so he could always run a little, but when you're looking at the data, it always, outside of 2019, shows a guy who was not a particularly great defender. You want to take a guy who is not a great defender and put him in center field. And on top of that, you're adding Shaw, you're adding Perez. We're pretty sure on those two. Adding Gamble is another roster spot you have to figure out. And we've talked about the crunch this team's going to be on in under the 40-man, which means, yeah, they are going to need to open spots at the end of the year. But you need to start seeing what you have. Like, if you're not going to play Mercado or Zimmer or Johnson, like then you're going to have to like let all three go because they need to open so many spots on their 40-man roster. And I think when we've seen Zimmer up there, he has struggled with contact. He has power. We just don't know if he can ever get to it enough to make him work at that position. But at least the defensive metrics have always been fantastic for him. That is the one area he has. And honestly, why did they both make it over Mercado? You might wonder, might be wondering right now. Because they're both left-handed. Mercado is right-handed. Uh, Rosario is right-handed. If they're going to get Rosario more uh, chances, more opportunities out there in center they wanted to have a platoon that made sense and that is what you're seeing right here with this i think it ends up being zimmer over gamble i think they try to convince gamble to go down to triple a i don't know if it happens if you put gamble on the roster and you're wondering like who else do you take off if you know uh, like i said everyone said taylor and hill you can transfer to your 40 man 
or transfer transfer to your 60-day disabled list, I should say. So who who gets cut? Who you move on from? That's I mean, Harold Ramirez is probably it. That's the guy. I mean, he's the latest addition. Doesn't have a natural spot with the team. You're probably moving on from him. But that's, I mean, if you weren't going to move on from him, you should probably move on from either Bowers or Bradley. That's where this roster is, and that's how they tight they are in terms of uh, figuring out where there is extra players to cut or move. It's just they're so up against it, and it's going to get worse, and that's why I kind of stand that this is a team that desperately needs to trade away some talent, uh, needs to, why can I not think of the correct word? Condense isn't what I want, but they need to trade a bunch of, you know, a quantity of quality to get an even greater quality. I guess condensing talent would be the right way to describe it. Uh, and that, that has to happen at some point this year or else they're going to lose a ton of guys in that rule five. And that's something that I think they know and is going to hold over the season. The Rays are likely to make a ton of moves at the end of camp here because they're under a situation with just their 26-man roster crunch. I I would not be shocked, for instance, if you were to the Rays, if someone like Yandy Diaz got moved. You know, Mike Brassi has looked very good for them. They have Joey Wendell, you know, old friend alert there as well when you're looking at the Rays. Uh, you know, Meadows is the DH, low and left. Azaria, or I'm sorry, low at second, Azaria, and left. I mean, Toots Tugo could be a trade candidate to the right team. I mean, even the Indians, Margot, Wendell, Kiermeyer. I mean, they need a catcher. I, I don't trust Mike Zunino, but that's what's crazy with the Rays is they're just all of those guys. Uh, and right now, you know, G Manchoy and, and Brett Phillips may not make the team because of injury uh, issues, but eventually they're going to need to be put on the roster. And that's where this team is just. It's going to be interesting to see. I'll stand by this Rays team as a, the most interesting team in baseball. But the Rays are feeling that crunch now. The Indians are going to feel it at the end of the year. I'll be very curious to see how the Indians, if... Because the deal they might look for, you might be saying, oh, why don't they trade with the Rays? Because the Rays are likely more looking to add faraway talent in any trade. Guys where they don't have to worry about their 40-man crunch as well. They're in the same situation the Indians are in. The team that did that last year was the Padres. For instance, they might have overpaid for the rental of Trevor, Trevor Rosenthal, but they traded multiple. Every piece they traded needed to be added to a 40-man. So they were trading pieces. They weren't sure if they were going to be able to protect, or if they protected them, they knew they would lose someone else. So there was a bit of a devaluation. Not necessarily to the the team that added them, but to the, the Padres and the reasoning for sending them out. So I'd be curious to see, you know, how any of that works out or exactly, you know, how they're going to balance this throughout the course of this year. So I can finally talk about some of these flavors over at BuiltBar.com because they sent us some trials so we could be able to know about some of these advancing flavors. We got the uh, the churro puff, which lost, unfortunately, and I got some the birthday cake and a cheesecake flavor as well. Now, I say unfortunately with that churro puff, because if you can get it and you, you like Bilt Bar, go get that. That is delicious. Uh, I've already eaten like four of them this weekend. It's just light. It's, you know, the, they're using the marshmallow in the way. It is a puff. I really, really like their puff. Go check it out. I'm going to be pulling for the puff in the other round here. The birthday cake came with sprinkles. My daughter wanted to try it because she saw that. There are actual sprinkles on it. It's pretty funny to go check that out. 
If you're curious who's still alive in the tournament, we have Cookies and Cream versus Coconut Almond, Cookie Dough versus the winner of Coconut and the Birthday Cake, Caramel Brownie will face the winner of Coconut Brownie Chunk and Lemon Almond Cheesecake, and Coconut Puff and Mint Brownie. You're going to notice a theme. Did you notice that coconut, 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 they do coconut so well. If coconut is your thing, definitely go to Built Bar today. Use the promo code LOCKDOWN15 to get 15% off your order. BuiltBar.com. It's just, it'll make your mouth happy. Go check out Locked On today if you want your breaking news in the world of sports. I was looking through things and realized I had missed a minor trade that happened. There's a good chance that that Carlos Hernandez raised trade that I missed out on was on Locked On today as they are covering all the breaking news that happens in a day. Go check out Locked On Today, hosted by Peter Bukowski, all your breaking news in 20 minutes. So as I promised, we're going to talk Rule 5, because the Indians have suffered in the Rule 5 draft. Let's be honest, they don't have a lot of great success stories as I was going through the data today. But what is interesting is the how few players have actually made it. Now, I'm realizing that I closed a tab I probably shouldn't have, because I can't give you the exact years now um, of these players the Indians at. Well, I can. I can go look at their data. But of when Trevor Steffian made the team, he became just the sixth player the Indians have taken the Rule 5 draft to make the Indians out of spring training. That's not a high amount. And again, this is a team that has lost some pretty significant talent over the years, most notably being Anthony Santander of late. But they have had a lot of guys leave via Rule 5 and uh, have Hector Rondon go on to have very successful careers. Uh, and there's more. Those are just the recent ones off the top of my head. For the Indians, though, the other way, for a team that's been as bad as they have been, you'd think they'd have some early picks and take advantage. No, that's not the case. Let's let's dive in. Andres Mora, selected in before it would have been the 79 draft before the 80 season. Nine games, 18 played appearances with the Indians. Now he had in 76, 77, and 78 played 70 games a season, 200 plus at bats, been about a league average bat as an outfielder, not necessarily a a great player, did not play in the majors in 79, was not good for the Indians in those games, only had 18 plate appearances. I mean, there's no sample size to judge, but that was also the end of his major league career right there at the age of 25. It's just interesting to see a guy have those three years of data and then it just goes away. Welcome to the 70s in baseball, I guess. Next up, Mike Huff. Now, as I was kind of going through these players, I think the interesting note to make on Mike Huff is he's got one of the highest wars of any player selected by the Indians in the Rule 5 draft. Born on August 11th in Honolulu, Hawaii, he would come over to the Indians in 1991, play 51 games for them after being selected, but would not stay with the Indians. Spent half that season... Uh, with the Chicago White Sox because he was waived by the Indians. So the Indians, he's a 16th round pick in 85. and 90, the Indians select him. Halfway through the year, he gets waived, goes to the White Sox. And then he would go on to play with the White Sox in 92 and 93, get 80 games in 94 with the Blue Jays, 95, 60 games, 96, only 11 but more of the point here, he had 12 games in the majors in 1989, didn't play in the majors in 1990. That year between Cleveland and the White Sox, he got 101 games, would play 369 games in the big leagues, most of it coming after he left Cleveland. That year in Cleveland, they're not the worst numbers. It's kind of like 
91 Indians, you know, we talk about them in a second. 51 games, 179 plate appearances, 146 at-bats, 240 average, 364 on base, 366 slugging, 699 OPS, a 95 OPS plus. So, I mean, almost a league average bat compared to everyone else at the time. And he was a center fielder. Uh, Alex Cole was better than him that year. That outfield, you had Albert Bell, Alex Cole, and Mark Witten got the majority of at-bats. He had the most at-bats of anyone after them in terms of outfielders. Uh, Bo Allard was not far behind him, or Bo Allard. Uh, Glenn Allen Hill would have been the, the after that, Turner Ward. So not a bad season for Mike Huff, all things considered, and he showed enough to stick around for another few years, could play a few outfield spots, could do a few things. So that's Mike Huff. Two war for his career. It's the second best war of any player we're going to talk about. Hector Ambriz. Now, this was kind of a surprise selection, I felt like, at the time. Like, no one was really on this, and we all kind of went, what? Uh, the Indians selected him. He's the most recent one, of course, to make the Indians. Uh, let's see, he was selected after the 2009 season in AAA that year in 127 innings. He had not been good, but the walk rates had always been pretty solid. Uh, didn't miss a lot of at-bats, was a starter. Indians took him out of Arizona. He went to Cleveland. He was not good with the Indians, uh, not even remotely. 34 games, 48 innings. I mean, he got an extended look, an ERA plus of 71, a FIP of 535. Walk rate stayed okay, but hit rate, home rate, strikeout rate, all bad. He would not reappear in the majors in 2012. He was actually a solid reliever for the Astros in 2012, but only 19 innings. 2013, struggles, barely appeared in 2014 with the Padres, and that was it. Now we have two players left to talk about. Both are interesting for different reasons. There's a hitter and a pitcher, and I'm just trying to debate because one of them is the best overall player, I think in terms of just total games, and one is the best in terms of contribution to the Indians. So we'll end with the more interesting story is how I'm going to decide on this. So Tom Waddle, 2.8 career war, best of this group by far, three years with the Indians. He comes over, uh, and also interesting from the fact that this is someone who was born in the United Kingdom, uh, in in Dundee, United Kingdom, went to Manhattan College, Uh, doesn't have a draft record for him, so I don't know if he just was never drafted or what. But he's in the Brave system in 81. So he, I mean, he probably was undrafted. Like there would be draft out here on Baseball Reference if he had been drafted. And Cleveland ends up selecting him before the, sorry, I clicked the wrong link there. I believe the 84 season. Yeah, so he is taken after the 83 season in the minors. He's with the Braves in 81, 82, and 83. So in 83, he, first two years, he's only pitching an A-ball. 83 in double a 44 innings uh he's spectacular Uh, 1.46 era eight strikeouts per nine 2.6 walks 6.5 hits bumps up to triple a for 24 innings strikeouts jump up to 10 walk rate still low but home run rate jumps comes to the indians in 84 can't miss bats still doesn't walk anyone home run rates a little high his let me switch back over to the non-minor league stats so I can get some better ones here. His ERA plus, though, is a 135. His FIP is a 434. 
mostly 58, I mean, 58 games, not mostly, but all out of the pen. 3.06 ERA, he's good. Like, he is legitimately a solid arm for them that year. 85, not as much. Jumps up to a 4.87, FIP to a 5.12. He is giving up more home runs. He's striking out less people. Goes back to the minors in 86, gets another shot in 87, five innings. It's not great. That's it for him. But 113 games, that is the most successful pitcher or player, honestly, with their time with the Indians that they selected in the Rule 5 draft. Uh, he, Tom Waddle, was that guy. Pitched in my lifetime. I don't really remember him super well. According to this, uh, one of only eight Scotland natives to ever be a major league ball player. Though he grew up in New Jersey. Uh, and then it was shoulder surgery in 85 that knocked him out for a year before coming back. But just uh, interesting from that perspective of you don't see a lot of players born in the UK who end up pitching in the big leagues. And also from the perspective of the most successful Rule 5 pick the Indians have had. Now, Eddie Williams is the one who's the more interesting story. So Eddie Williams gets selected in the after the 85 season. He's only like 20 years old. He has not really been in, in the uh, around that much. You go back... So he was drafted, what, 83? First round, fourth overall in 1983. That's right. Fourth player taken in the 1983 draft. The Indians select him, take this flyer on a player who was good enough to be the fourth overall pick in 86. Think about that. Drafted in 83, Rule 5 eligible after the 85 season. Different world, right? Uh, He gets in five games, seven plate appearances next year. 22 games, 75 plate appearances. Next year, 10 games, 23 plate appearances. Never really getting that opportunity. Gets traded to the White Sox, and he gets a shot there. Uh, Let's see. So he had been traded to the Reds before that. I don't know if that's what caused that. The Indians get Joel Davis and Ed Wojna. He would go to the White Sox in that one full season. He's not bad. He's about a league average bat in 66 games. Comes a free agent, goes to the Padres, goes to Japan, comes back, then goes to the Mexican League, spends a few years. This is what makes him interesting. So 90, he's with the Padres. He re- reappears in 94 with the Padres. 49 games, 196 plate appearances. He hits 331, 392 on base, 594 slugging, 986 OPS, 156 OPS plus. He doesn't come close to matching that. The next year, he's closer to league average, 260, 324, 26, 7, 46, and 98. And that's in 97 uh, games. Plays in 96, plays in 97, plays in 98. Doesn't really get those consistent looks. But again, this is a guy who, fourth overall pick in the draft, gets traded multiple times. Uh, you know, gets traded before the Indians draft him, just two years after being drafted he's rule five eligible can't break through with the indians goes to japan (laughs) makes his way back if you're curious about that 1983 class top pick was tim belcher and that's when he refused to sign with the twins then kurt stillwell jeff kunkel eddie williams williams got more than kunkel uh stan hilton jackie davidson daryl arkfelds robbie wine matt stark ray hayward Dave Clark. It's okay if you don't know anyone until Dave Clark. I didn't either. Who were the top players in that class? Well, with the 19th pick, the Boston Red Sox took Roger Clemens. 
With the 26th pick, the Brewers took Brian Plesak. And with the 16th pick, the Expos took Brian Holman. If you don't count Belcher, that's your one, your two, your three. Ricky Jordan at 22 to the Phillies. And then, I don't know this player, Calvin Schiraldi, 27 to the Mets. So a later pick for them as well. Not a great group. Let's, let's be honest there. Uh, if you're curious, I know it's often fun to look at the second rounds. Well, Bill Swift didn't sign, but you did get uh, Dave Magadan, Chris Sabo, and Glenn Bragg, and Richie Amaral, and Joe Oliver. Like, just some names. How about Mickey Brantley uh, or Andy Allenson in the second round that year? See, this is a problem. You get me going on a draft, everyone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for days. This is what Wally Joyner in the third round, Rick Aguilera in the third round, it's uh, it's always, like I said, I have too much fun just looking at old draft classes. But the point is still, Eddie Robinson, really interesting. Ron Gant and Charlie Hayes in the fourth. Charlie's kid is the uh, front runner for NL Rookie of the Year. How about Mike Birkbeck uh, until Chris Bassett, the greatest player in the University of Akron history, goes in the uh, the fourth round that year. We'll, we'll end with the fifth. <laughs> I know I'm cutting myself off to just have fun. Uh, Todd Stottlemyre did not sign, so Lenny Harris is your top fifth rounder in that uh, grouping. But I, like I said, you can just sit here for days. I, so, I, I mean, at this time, we'll end here in the sixth with John Burkett. So Burkett and Swift, who I remember when they're timed together, uh, both taken, only one signed. But Eddie Williams, just fascinating from that regard, a four-year gap. Then he makes it back to the majors and has uh, 50 games for the ages. I mean, it's... You know, it's really interesting to see. He's a really interesting player in that regard. Um, yeah, so that's the rule five. Uh, we went long because I always go long, even when we've lengthened the show. Tell me what you thought about that rule five retrospective and me letting this podcast get off the rails as usual. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Lockdown Indians podcast. I'm. We don't have a crossover this week, so I'm not exactly sure. We might dive back into some of those, you know, greatest picks in so-and-so round in Indians history. I'm trying to remember where I left off. If you remember where I left off, hit me up on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft. And as always, for the next year, maybe two, go Tribe.